it is a privilege to be able to speak at Sovereign Grace again. So I just want to thank the elders for asking me to do this. Um, Trisha and I love coming down here to worship with you guys. So um, we just look forward to it every time we come down. And so to be able to, to, be able to speak and uh, share what's on my heart, it makes it extra special. So I just pray that, that God would give his, his church uh, the ears to hear. Um, what he's laid on my heart this morning. Um, could I have a word of prayer before we start, guys? Um, I'm just kind of nervous. So, Father, we just um, just come before you, Lord, and um, just so grateful, God, to to have a body of believers, Lord, to worship you with, and uh, to open up your Word, God, and to, to teachers and elders, Lord, and a, and a body that, that that just wants to exalt you and and to know your truth and to teach your truth, God. It's, it's rare in these days, and so, Father, I just ask you to bless this church. I pray that you would bless this morning, God. Uh, give, us, give us ears to hear your word. Father, may we take the truth, Lord, that, that uh, Randy shared and that was, that was sung in the songs, Lord, and then the scriptures we're going to look at, Lord, and just sharpen us, equip us to be able to... Uh, accurately and faithfully proclaim your word to others. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, the title of my message that I'm going to be sharing this morning is um, is uh, Being Christ-like in Our Evangelism. So I, I really appreciate Randy's message um, that he shared um, just on being equipped um, to faithfully proclaim Christ, and so I I trust that as the body of Christ that that you guys in here who know Christ uh, that you have a desire to be Christ-like in every area of your life. <clears throat> Romans eight twenty nine says, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son." So ultimately, we know as believers that's God's purpose for us while on earth. He's, he's conforming, conforming us to His Son. And I think in the life of a believer, that's our, that's our desire. Because we have the life of God in us. So in, a, in every area of our life, in our speech, in our marriages, in our parenting, our relationships, our, our giving, our kindness, our generosity, our attitudes, our motives, our thought life. I trust that you guys have a desire to be Christ-like in all these areas. Um, and to do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. But what about our evangelism? That's, that's what I want to speak about this morning. Do we, do we desire to be Christ-like in our evangelism? Do we desire to, uh, when we proclaim the gospel, do we desire to do it in a way that honors God? Okay? So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, if you are a Christian, then you should be able to communicate the, um, the basic elements of the gospel. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15... Those things that were as, as of first importance, that Christ died for sinners, that he was buried, and on the third day God raised him from the dead. I mean, if you're saved, obviously you know those truths, right? And so those are the basic elements of the gospel. That's not what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. So if you hear, um, we're, we're, going to look at, we're going to look at other essential, but I think tragically neglected areas sometimes that, that we fail uh, to communicate to others. 
So, so if you hear me not, not mentioning the, the death, burial, and resurrection, that's not what's uh, in this message. That's kind of understood. We know that anytime we present the gospel to somebody, those truths has to be communicated or it's not the gospel. Um, like I said, we're going to look at a few other things. Our text is in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll come back to it here in just a few moments. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. It says, As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Then he says, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But at these words he was saddened and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Okay, just a little bit about leading up to this. Jesus had been in Galilee, and he's now in the region of Judea beyond the Jordan known as Perea. And we don't know much else about this place, Perea. Uh, he and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. Um, as you can see later on in this chapter, in the beginning of chapter 11, is where he rode in the Jerusalem on a, on a colt. So that's kind of where we're at in his ministry. Um, kind of getting towards the end of his ministry. There's two parallel accounts of this, of this account in, in Matthew 19 and Luke 18. And these accounts, if we were to read those, they reveal a little, uh, some other things about this young man, about this man. Um, they reveal that this man was young and that he was a ruler, probably in the synagogue, um, and that he was wealthy. And it's not the same account as in Luke 10.25. Luke 10.25, there was a man who was a lawyer or a scribe, supposedly who was an expert in God's law, and he approached Jesus to put him to the test. Kind of a sarcastic approach. It actually uses those words to test Jesus. So that's not the same account as this. So back to our, back to our text. Um, in, this, in this text, I've got, I've got three points. Three points in this text, uh, I think they each cover two verses. So in verse 17 and 18, there's the truth uh, that I entitled, The Truth in, in the Confession of Christ. The Truth in the Confession of Christ. In verse 17, it says, This young man knelt. Or first of all, it says, he, it says a man ran up to him. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, now, first of all, the, the fact that, that's, that this man ran. I remember hearing John MacArthur teach on the, uh, in Luke 15 on the prodigal son. And the thing that stuck out to me when he taught that was when the father ran to the son. That was such a, um, just a humiliating thing to do for men in that culture. So this is a picture of this guy running up. And then he not only ran to Jesus, but he knelt before him. So we see the difference in this account as in the, uh, the, um, the one in Luke 10 that I would mentioned where he was just a, uh, a scribe who was there to test Jesus. This man, that was not the case. 
he seemed to be, just by his body language, by his running, by his kneeling, he seemed to be genuine and even reverent in his approach to Christ. Um, and then the question he asks, I mean, how would you guys like it if somebody ran up to you and said, Dylan, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's kind of what we want to hear, right? <laughs> so the guy, not only did he, um, just by his body language, he appeared to be reverent, but he asked the right question, right? He, I mean, he asked the right question, whether it be, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How can I be saved? How can I be right with God? I mean, that's the kind of question you want to hear. And i um, kind of getting ahead of myself, but I think if, you know, modern contemporary church looked at Jesus' response, how he handled this, man, they would have said he missed it. So, but we know Jesus didn't miss it, so that's why I hope we can learn from him. Learn from him and not, and not what we see out there today with all the, the methods and the, um, I'll say more on that a little later. But he asked the right question and obviously he asked the right person. He asked the right person. Now because of his legalism, naturally he thought of some religious deed he must do. That's why he asked, you know, what he must do, but nevertheless, it was the right question. It was a great question. So then we get to Jesus' response. And this is kind of the where we start getting to the first point of the sermon, uh, the truth and the confession of Christ. Jesus says, why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. Now, I think two things are going on here. I think one, one thing that Jesus is doing was he was, and we're going to see this in the next verse, he's correcting this young man's understanding of what good is. You know, we throw the word good around. We make it a relative term. I'm, you know, Ronnie's good because he's better than me. Or that's kind of, the, that's the way people do. If you've talked to people, you know that. We have no understanding of what good is. So Jesus is going to, he's going to correct this man's understanding of what good is and show them that he's not really good. That's kind of in our next point. But I think another thing that he was doing, um, he was challenging because of Jesus' response. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, this one thing that he didn't say, he didn't say, no one is good except God alone, and I'm not God. <laughs> That's not, he didn't do that. I think on the contrary, he was, Jesus was uh, correcting his misunderstanding of what good means, but he was also challenging him to think through the implications of calling him good. Was he prepared to acknowledge the deity of Christ? Okay, I think that's what's going on here. Um, and most commentators I read, they would agree with that. That's what he was doing. But why is this important? And is this, you know, is this consistent with the rest of Scripture? Okay. Because I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't understand that point until I, I'd heard guys pointing that out. And the more, the more guys that I trust that I started reading, that's what's, that's what they say is taking place here. That Jesus is challenging this man, assumption of calling him good. Do you understand that only God is good? Do you understand that I am God? Are you willing to submit to me as God? So what does the scripture say? Is this, is this consistent with the scriptures? Um, in Matthew one twenty three, and if you're if you're taking notes, you just want to jot these verses down. In Matthew one twenty three, it says, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel," which translated means God with us. So remember, we're looking at we're looking at just some areas in our evangelism that we can learn from Christ when we when we're communicating truth to other people, and 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 I know a lot of these things are. Um, Maybe review for many of you, but um, 
for, for others, maybe, maybe these are first time hearing some of these things. Um, John 1, 3, 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is talking about Christ, of course. And the Word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, we're just looking at some scriptures that teach who Jesus is. Okay? And then also who he claimed to be himself. Colossians 1.16 that says, For by him all things were created. By Christ all things were created. Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, now we're going to start getting into a few scriptures of what did Jesus claim about himself. And we can see how, how this account lines up with all of his other teachings and his encounters with people. <clears throat> in John eight fifty six through fifty eight, this is where he was talking to the to the Jewish leaders. This this whole chapter's, you know, this is the same chapter where he he looked at the Jewish leaders and said, "Your father is of the devil, or is the devil." So he was really, really, um, he was really in a heated discussion. But in eight, in John chapter eight fifty six through fifty eight, he says, "Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day." The Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So I think most of you guys realize what he means by that. He's saying, you know, if you think back to the, to the Old Testament, you think back to when um, Moses was at the burning bush. You guys remember, and um, God had told him to, to go to Pharaoh. The children of Israel had been in bondage for 400 years, and God had told him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. And God said, well, if they ask, what's your name? What, what should I tell him? He said, tell him, I am. In, in other words, I am who I am. I'm self-existent. God is. He is the God of the Old Testament. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, I am Yahweh. So that's, and, and we'll see that he says this many times. So Jesus right here is claiming to be God. There's no doubt who Jesus is claiming to be. And then in John 10, 31 through 33, um, in this chapter, it's a beautiful chapter. <clears throat> Jesus was teaching that he was the good shepherd who gives eternal life to his sheep. And in verse 30, he even uses this phrase, I and the Father are one. I mean, that's claiming deity again. And then, and then uh, verses 31 through 33, it says, The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For, w- for which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For such a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a mere man make yourself out to be God. So the very reason they wanted to stone him was because he claimed to be God. So it's evident who Christ claimed to be. And then this, this really goes to our text this morning. So we see that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Jesus claimed to be God. And then in John, back to John chapter 8 and verse 24. He says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And in the original, you can take that word he out. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. 
So we can see that 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 theme is consistent throughout Scripture. That the Scriptures teach that Jesus is God, that Jesus claimed to be God, and that He even went to the point and said, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Because in other words, if a person doesn't come to the right Jesus, He can't save them. So that's the first point we need to that we can take from this little account is in our gospel presentation, we need to be able to make sure and explain that Jesus Christ is God, okay? Because people, they throw his name around a lot. There's some groups out there, the Mormons, uh, they teach that Jesus Christ is a spirit brother of Lucifer. We know that's not true. The Jehovah's Witness teach that, that Jesus Christ is the Archangel Michael. We know that's not true. Um, I had my own... I had my own, before I was truly converted, I had my own idea of who Jesus was. And it's really blasphemy and embarrassing because God hadn't opened my eyes yet. But Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Now, now I will say before we go further, we know that just because a person believes that Jesus is God doesn't mean they're saved. The demons know that Jesus Christ is God, right? But that is one thing that people must come to grips with. They must come to the right Jesus Christ, who is God. And then just one other point about, one other scripture about this point that uh, is a good reminder. In Matthew 16, verses 16 through 17, um, this is where uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do, who do the people say that I am? You know, and, and, um, and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, you know, one of the prophets. And that's when Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So we need to remember that uh, whenever we are explaining to somebody who Christ is or whatever we're trying to explain, whatever truth of scripture we're trying to explain, we have to allow, like Randy was saying this morning, it's the, it's the spirit that opens people's eyes, Okay. But he only does that through us communicating the truth. So you can't argue and try to convince your Jehovah's Witness neighbor that Jesus is God. Okay, your argument's not going to convince him. We tell him, we explain to him, and God will open their eyes in his choosing and his timing. So that was kind of a lot of scripture, but I just wanted to show you in scripture where um, this lines up. This lines up with the rest of Jesus' teaching. That he claims to be God and he demands us uh, to submit to him as God. Okay? So that was point number one. Uh, we have to write, we have to have, we have to have, people have to have the right confession of Christ. Okay? Point number two, um, there is the humility of coming to Christ. Okay? We have to, we have to understand who Christ is and it takes humility for anybody to come to Christ. Okay? Humility. Luke five thirty one through 32, Jesus said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're all familiar with, with that verse. You know, Jesus is not saying there's, that there are any righteous, but that a person has to acknowledge his sin. And that's the point we're going to look at, is how, how to help a person understand their sin. Okay? James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, so this, this man that, that ran up to Jesus, this, this young ruler, in, in verses 19 and 20, you can see it right here. Um, so Jesus, 
after after Jesus saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Then he takes him through some of the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And then his response kind of reveals where this guy's at spiritually. He's deluded. Um, he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. How many of you guys have heard somebody say that? You're talking to them. So, man, you kept the commandments? Oh, yeah. And then if, if they're honest with themselves, you find out a few minutes later, or they find out that, that um, they really hadn't. But for a guy to say this, um, teacher, I have kept all these things up from my, from my youth. Now, this man, like, like most, if, you know, if we'll be honest, in us, before God opened our eyes, this man was self-righteous. He was blind. He was deceived. And so, if we look at Scripture, this is how, this is how unregenerate man is defined. Okay, Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Just listen to the language here. There is a, Proverbs 30, verse 12, there is a, there is a kind or a kind of man who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness, from his filthiness. And then Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. I'm going to come back to that verse a couple times. But that the 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 fallen man's heart is de- is deceived. It's it's one of the scariest things. Well, it is the scariest thing, and of all of creation, I think is a is a lost man, an unregenerate man's heart, because not only is it wicked, but it's deceived. And what do you think the number one lie is that that a a fallen man's heart tells him. I think it would be that you're you're good, you're good. Because that's that's the because mo- that's the most damning lie there is, is that I'm good. God accepts me how I am. Um, so we have to we have to instruct we have to instruct the heart with truth. Okay, we have to instruct the heart with truth. Gospel preaching, true biblical gospel preaching is a is a pride-crushing, pride-destroying ministry. I think that's, I mean, I think if you could sum it up, that's what God's called us to do by declaring His truth. It, it, it destroys and it crushes pride. And it's the only thing that can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is God's truth. Um, so, he, so He took Him through the commandments. And the question is, why? Why? What was He doing? What was Jesus Christ doing? Again, the guy said, the guy already asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Why didn't Jesus just, you know, give him a few facts about the gospel, four points, and lead him in a prayer? It's not there. So let's let's learn of what he was doing. What he was doing, he was following that, which Paul later later penned and described to us in Galatians 3. Okay? Galatians 3.24 says, the law has become our tutor. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And what does a tutor do? A tutor teaches. So the law teaches us. It teaches us about ourself. teaches us about our sin. It teaches a man that you're not good in God's eyes. Okay? None of us are. Because again, fallen men through their through their their blind eyes, through their 
hearts that are deceived, through their hearts that that um, lie to them, they we, we just naturally think we're good. And that's what and this man was no different than anybody else. This man was a highly religious man, but he was deceived. So I got there's a little analogy that some of you guys in here may have heard, the dust analogy, and it's a good analogy about what the law does. So, so you wake up on a Saturday morning, you know, you sleep in to eight or nine o'clock, and it's bright and sunny outside. You walk in your in your living room, and it's you know it's still kind of dark. You got the, you got the the uh, blinds closed. And so the first thing you do, you got get let some light in here. So you open up the blinds, and what do you see? You see light beams from the sun shining through the room that was dark. And then what do you see floating in the air? See little dust particles. I don't know, but when I see that, I <laughs> kind of think, wow, we're breathing this stuff in every day. But the question is, did that light, did that sunlight produce that dust? No, it was already there, right? The dust was already there the whole time. And so the, the same thing goes, the same thing is true with a sinner, guys, the, the one who says they're good, the one who says, oh, yeah, I've kept most of the commandments. You know, I may have, I've never murdered anybody. and I may have broken a few here and there. But when you take the time to, to help them see their sin, which is all, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's helping this guy see that you're not so good, okay? The standard is perfection, and you fall way short. And so that's what the law does when you, when, when you take somebody, and you just explain God's Word. It's not, a, it's not a method. You just explain God's Word. This is what God's Word says. God's Word says we, you know, we shall not lie. And, and just ask a person, man, I want you to just think about because we don't think of ourselves as liars. I never thought of myself as a liar. But it's like, what do you got to do to tell a lie? Or what do you got to be to a liar? What do you have to do to be a liar? Tell a lie. And, and somebody realizes, wow, I've told millions of them. You know, so it, get, it, helps, it helps to get a person to think. It teaches them. That's what, the, that's what the law does. It's our tutor. And see, Jesus not only did this in his, in his um, private or one-to-one evangelism. He did this in his preaching. Okay, so we can look at that as well. Matthew 5. So turn to Matthew 5. We was there a little earlier. Jesus was always aiming at the heart. Okay? That's what Jesus was doing. And I think that's one of the main things we can learn from him. Not just in this encounter, but from his preaching, from other encounters. He's aiming at the heart of man. Okay? He, he's not looking for... He's not looking for shallow, false conversions. Okay? He's looking... He, he wants... He wants to shine the light of His Word and of God's holiness on the sinner's heart so they can see their sin. And then in our next point, we'll look at our next point, He wants um, submission to Him. But um, in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, it says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother should be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Then down in verses 27 and 28. And I will have to say, uh, in in my days of God saving me, I think this truth right here was what God used to open my eyes to how sinful I was. In verses 27 and 28. He says, you have heard it said... That it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, so we can see in Jesus' preaching, um, not only here, not not only in this these verses that I read, but his preaching is he's not only preaching the law of God, he's taking it further. He's preaching the spiritual nature of the law of God. And I think that is where we need to hone in when we're talking with unregenerate people and we're sharing the gospel with them. Point out the fact that God sees the heart, okay? That He sees things like lust as adultery. He, he sees things like coveting what other people have. That's the only difference between a thief and a, somebody who covets is a thief just took it, okay? But, but these sins that are in the heart... I think that's what people need to understand. Jesus is aiming at the heart. Again, it's that heart that's deceived. Okay, The heart is deceitful above all things. We think as, we think of, man, people are see, deceived because of Satan. And that's true. He's blind to the eyes of the unbelievers. But it's our own hearts. Okay, Our own hearts. Think about before you were converted. We were just discussing back then. Me and Jared and Justin just... How differently we were deceived. <laughs> but we were deceived. And we were all on the broad road together. I was on the broad road with my Muslim friends. I was on the broad road with my atheist friends. And yet, and the th- But yet the thing about it, most people, there's some out there who don't think this, but most people that are on the broad road, they don't, they don't think they are. Again, that's the deception of the heart. Our hearts are deceitful. So we have to teach the heart. We have to teach the heart truth. We have to use that tutor. Okay? We have to use God's law. And, and, and we talk about preaching the holiness of God. And that is, what, that is what this is doing. Okay? We can tell people that God is holy. And we, and we should explain to them. We should use every scripture we know how to use. But if you really want to show a person how holy God is, it's when we open up the law. Because that's a reflection of who God is. It's a reflection of the holiness of God. You know, this is what I tell people, and it, you know, and using just picture illustrations help, helps people see sometimes. But when you wake up in the morning, or let's say you've been out, let's let's say you've been outside working, you know, you've been outside working in the yard, and you've got company coming over, and you got to get in, and and um, you think, well, I don't look that bad. But then you go stand in front of the mirror, man, you've got stuff all over your face. That's the law of God, okay? When we, when we stand before the law of God, it shows us what we really look like. And then what does that cause us to do? Go to the water and get cleansed, okay? So then it pushes us, it, it drives us to Christ to be cleansed, the living water. So a couple more scriptures. First John three fifteen, just, just kind of testifying to the same thing. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 8. I believe that was Moses that wrote this one. Uh, you have placed our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. Okay? Again, people people think they've got a lot of secrets hidden from God. I know I did. But there are no secret sins to God. They're all in the light of His presence. So we all, so our job as believers is just to help uh, help people see this. Okay? In love. Always in love. And you'll be surprised. Most people... If, if you approach them and you talk about even these kind of things in love, most people are receptive. Not all, but most people are receptive if we if we do it in love. Now, Jesus knew that this man's heart, um, 
in, in verse 21, it's kind of, this is kind of getting to our next point, the verses 21 and 22. But in verse 21, Jesus knew this man's heart, uh, was, was greed. Okay. We'll see here in just a moment. So he knew this man's, um, area that he was not willing to give up. He knew that this man's area was greed, covetousness. So in verse 21, he specifically addresses it. This is when he said, um, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So he knew that this man's God, in other words, was his possessions, okay? His greed, his covetousness. So what he did, because he's God and he's all-knowing, he put his finger upon that sin, okay? If you remember, do you remember his encounter with the woman at the well? He did the same thing. He knew her, I mean, because he's God, he knew, he knew her that she was, uh, had been married five times and now living with a guy that wasn't her husband, so he put his finger upon her sin. And um, so we don't, we're not God. I was going to say that's how we're different in Jesus. That's like one of the infinite ways we're different in Jesus. But because we're not, we're not God, we don't know, and I'll use this word, fully people's hearts. Um, we can have an idea because in Matthew twelve thirty four, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we can have an idea of maybe what's going on in a person's heart by what's, you know, if we're around them enough, hearing what's coming out of their mouth. But obviously, we don't fully know somebody's heart. So what we do, we address them with the law of God, especially the spiritual nature of the law, okay? And and so by doing this, guys, it will allow the Holy Spirit, we talked about the Trinity earlier, the Holy Spirit who is God, it will allow the Holy Spirit to put His finger on the person's sin, okay? We don't know what's going on in their life, but we know that God's Word speaks to all of us, okay? God's, God's Holy Word, the holiness of God, this person was created in the image of God. They have their, His law written upon their hearts just like we do. So when we share with them the truth of God's Word and what sin is, the Holy Spirit, we can, we can then allow the Holy Spirit to do His job. And you remember what the Spirit's job was to do? To convict sin, righteousness, and judgment? It's kind of hard for the Holy Spirit to do His job if we're not preaching the truth, okay? So when we walk up to somebody and we say, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life, that's, we're not teaching them truth. The Holy Spirit can't do His job. So the Holy Spirit does His job in, a, in accordance with, with the people of God preaching the truth of God. Does that make sense? I'm used to teaching a class and always asking any questions, but... Um, so we address them with the law of God. This will allow the Holy Spirit. I did have an example. Um, you know, Randy, you were asking for testimonies earlier. I had one. I had one kind of right here at this point. It was um, just kind of early on. This was probably about ten years ago. Early on, when I was kind of learning these principles, um, there was a guy. He, he was a customer. I worked for FedEx Freight, and so there was this guy. He was on a forklift, and we had like ten minutes to talk. And so I just, I don't remember how the subject came up, but we started talking and. Anyway, the first thing that came out of this guy's mouth was, yeah, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And so, and so I just kind of ignored that and, um, and just kind of, we just started talking about these things, got taking them through the law of God. And so we didn't have time to, uh, or I was going to say, we didn't argue about who Jesus was or any of those things. We didn't have time. And, but God really, he, he, he really gave me encouragement that day about how true his word is because i was i was kind of i was kind of learning some of these principles and i remember this guy 
he, he just immediately boasted, yeah, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And so after taking him through the law, literally five or ten minutes later, this guy is sitting on his forklift weeping, okay? And I'll never forget his words. He says, I, I didn't realize how dirty I was. And he's just weeping. And I mean, this is like, I'm, you know, he's my customer. I'm like, okay, can you sign this? <laughs> but he's weeping. And, that, and that's all I remember him saying. We didn't, we didn't argue about anything. He just, for the first time in his life, Jehovah's Witness aside, the guy realized that he was sinful and dirty before God and that his dead religion wasn't going to help him. Okay, so I seen the guy one other time after that, maybe three or four months later. Haven't seen him since. But I just remember him telling, I don't know if God had even saved him then or, you know, but he did tell me, he said, yeah, my, uh, I think it was, his, it was either his wife or his fiance. He said, yeah, we, we, we got out of the Jehovah's Witness. I'm sure he used church, the cult. And he said, we're now attending an evangelical church. So that's, so that's, that's all I know about the guy, but that one stuck out. That one stuck out because before I would have, if he would have said, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, I'd have froze. Uh, you know, um, but I just, I exercised those principles that I'd been taught. It was very simple. Um, and, and God used it to humble this man. It was, it, it sticks out in my mind more than, just about every conversation I've ever had. He just, he just, he just hung his head there. It was just weeping. So, um, that's the power of God's word. The Bible says the law stops the mouth. Okay? So that was point number two, the humility of coming to Christ. People have to humble themselves. We, you know, we say that. We, we preach that. But that's the truth. Because until a person humbles themselves, God resists them. He opposes them. So, and the way for people to be humbled is to preach the full counsel of God's word. Okay, and that leads us into point number three, which is in verses 21 through 22. It says, Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Um, the third point I just jotted down, there is the cost of following Christ. Okay? The cost of following Christ. Um, now, this is real important. If we go back, you know, because we've all heard the lordship controversy, you know. It, does Jesus have to be Lord or just Savior? I don't think there's any controversy when you read the Bible. Okay, Jesus is Lord. We submit to him. But this question could be easily answered because there would be people that would say, well, you know, in verses like this, and others that will look at, well, Jesus was just calling this guy to a further, deeper walk with him. Well, what was the guy's original question? Verse 17. Good teacher, what shall I do to make you Lord since you're already Savior? No. He said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus is telling him, give up everything and follow me. Is basically what he's saying. So, was this man already a believer? Absolutely not. <clears throat> um. Now, Jesus did feel, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not, actually. Yeah, the beginning of verse 21, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, okay? Just that phrase, Jesus felt a love for him. I think I think Randy had mentioned earlier in equipping our, you know, just about, um, you know, when we're in conversation with people, sometimes we have to tell them difficult truths, right? And many people will say, well, you need to be more loving, well, what does it say here? Jesus felt a love for him. 
It's this is why Jesus was telling him these things because he did love him. Okay, so don't let the don't let the fear or the um, those who may be in the church, they may be Christians, they may be professing Christians. Don't let their negativity. Don't let their um, I'm trying to think of a word. I can't think of it. Um, deter you from telling the truth. Okay, that is. If if we really love somebody, we're going to tell them the truth, okay? Whenever you get an opportunity to, to to share the things of Christ with people, we have to tell them the truth, and it's and it's the very the very reason because we love them is we tell them the truth, okay? So Jesus felt a love for this guy. Um, Matthew ten thirty seven through thirty eight, we can see some more of this. Just this. Just the demands that Jesus always had if he wanted to be his follower. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, 38, says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He said, He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is what Jesus, this is how Jesus always presented it. Um, basically he's, 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 um, he's confronting this guy in his sin. He's taken him through the law that show him he's not good. He's, he's, he's presenting himself in a way where this man, he has to realize who he's talking to. He's talking to God in the flesh. And then the final thing, he's presenting himself in his gospel in the way to ask this young man, would he be willing to submit to the Lordship of Christ? Okay? At any cost. Luke 14. Turn to Luke 14. We really see it here because Jesus, he would have these, it even says in this verse here, he would have these great crowds following him. Now I think most people would be like, man, look at all these people following me. I must be really, God's using me. He's using me to preach the truth. Look at my following. Look what Christ does. Verse 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them. He basically, I look at it as Jesus saying, well, it's time to weed out the goats here. Because you got all these followers. He says, now, this is uh, Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Wow. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come, af- come, uh, and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he tells us, and that's uh, under, this, under this text here, it's just we have, to, we have to count that cost. Do we really want to follow Christ? And when we're talking to a person, we need to explain these things to them. Do you really want to follow Christ? Okay. doesn't guarantee you a happy life. doesn't guarantee you uh, fame and fortune and Matter of fact, you're probably going to lose some friends. You will lose some friends. It's going to cost you your popularity. It's going to cost you, obviously, your pride. It's going to cost you your self-indulgences. Are you willing to follow Christ? So he says, um, verse 28, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends, out, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Now, of course, we know we're not saved by God's grace through giving up physical possessions. That's not what he's saying. And, you know, and the, and the question always comes up. This is just kind of this is kind of getting off of my point. But the question always comes up when Jesus is presenting this kind of demands. You know, aren't we saved by grace? Absolutely, we're saved by grace. And, 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 and we don't get saved because we give these things up. But when we preach the truth of God's word and God does that saving act, this is what saving faith looks like. Does that make more sense? That's what saving faith looks like. So when you have the person claiming to be a Christian and there's no fruit, there's no desire to follow Christ, something's wrong, okay? This speaks of unconditional surrender. They were to safeguard nor cherish sins, treasure nor earthly possessions, and cling to no secret self-indulgences. Luke thirteen twenty four. Jesus, he says, strive, agonize to enter through the narrow door. And again, we agonize. The reason we agonize is because of our pride, okay? It's because of our pride, our love for sin, our love for self, and the world's and Satan's opposition to the truth. That's why when a person comes to Christ, it's no small deal. It's no small deal. We have to understand our sin. We have to be willing to turn from our sin. Um, and I said this already in short, gospel preaching is a pride crushing ministry. And, and as I was reflecting on this, um, I think, I think one word guys, I think one word could, could describe all of this up and, and Jesus, he began his ministry with this during his ministry. He preached this and at the end of his ministry, the beginning of his ministry, Mark one fifteen, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. During his ministry, we see Jesus preaching repentance. Telling people, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That was his message. At the end of his ministry, Luke 24, 46 and 47, it's Luke's account of the Great Commission. And it actually gives us what we are to preach. Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, we're not going to have a discussion on what repentance is. Most of you guys probably understand. Repentance, first of all, it's granted by God. All these things are granted by God, but it comes through declaring the truth. When, we, when we're faithful to preach God's truth, God will be faithful to do His part when he, you know, when he chooses to do so. But we just need to be faithful to communicate the truth and not add to this diluted gospel that's out there, which is no gospel. This, and this was not in our text, but also, uh, just as another point, um, back in Matthew 5, if we want to be, if we want to be Christ-like in our evangelism, and this is just from the motive, if we want to communicate the same truths that we see Jesus communicating over and over and over, then we have to be honest with people about hell. Okay? There was nobody more honest and more outspoken of hell in the Bible than Jesus Christ. He spoke about hell more than all the other writers combined. He spoke about hell more than he did heaven. And, and so if we're faithful, we need to lovingly warn people about hell. And use the word hell, okay? Use the word hell. Matthew five twenty nine and 30. 
And we're going to close with this. Um, he said, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Oh, that was 30. Verse 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you, for it is better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So we need to lovingly warn people, guys. I think that's the, I think that's the point of uh, when we see Jesus' preaching and his teaching. He's, he's constantly addressing the issue of sin because that is the issue, okay? Without addressing, there is no good news. There's no good news, and that's what he meant by, I have not come to call the righteous. I have not come to call those people who think they're righteous, but sinners to repentance. God saves sinners. Can we, amen to that. God saves sinners. And so... Um, these are just some things. Again, this is not this is not exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive gospel proclamation, but it's things to remember as we're as we're sharing with people the good news of the gospel that you know the substitutionary work of Christ, His life that He lived that perfect life, His passive and active obedience. Also, be be clear and honest with people the truths of repentance of the cost of following Christ. And then, and then leave it in God's hands. You know, we serve a sovereign God, but but I believe that I believe the more the more accurately we can proclaim the gospel, um, it will honor God. If we want if we want to do, you know, all things to the glory of God whether we eat or whether we drink or whether we preach the gospel, then let's do it truthfully. Amen. Okay, let me close close us in prayer. Father, we just um are so grateful, God, that <clears throat> that you've given us your your revealed word, Lord, your written word, Father, that we can be that we can be built up, God. We can be built up by your word. We can be built up by your example. We can learn from your example while you walk this earth in the person of your Son. We just thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you for um, each other's edification, God, that we can as we meet together regularly, God, that we can be an encouragement to one another, a rebuke to one another, sharpening one another. Um, Just so grateful, God, that you chose to save us, God, in spite of our sin, called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, may we be faithful, God, to proclaim that, to proclaim that message, Lord, whether it's with one person, God, whether it's giving somebody a tract that's got these truths written in them. Father, just please find us faithful, Lord, in... um, and sharing the the love of Jesus Christ. It's His name I pray. Amen.